All right, all right. Good morning to you. Um, when Christine and I, 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 I can't remember if it was our first year of marriage or we were still dating at the time, about to get married. I, I'm pretty sure we were still dating, about, about to get engaged, all that sort of thing. It was November, it was uh, Thanksgiving. I think it was the day after Thanksgiving or something like that. And we were driving to her, her aunt's lake house. Um, a lot of her family was there and for Thanksgiving, all that sort of thing. And so we were driving. It took a few hours. And by the time I got there, um, I really had to go to the bathroom. <clears throat> and so I walk in, and I didn't, I mean, I met her parents, obviously, but a lot of her extended family never before. So I'm like saying hi to everybody, and I'm like, all right, I got to go. So I like run into the bathroom, and I go to the bathroom. <clears throat> and uh, it, was, it was not pleasant. And that's okay, though, because once I was done, <clears throat> I uh, go to flush the toilet. And as soon as I flush the toilet, it gets like stopped up. And I, in my defense, like, I'm, I know it wasn't me because, like, as soon as you flushed, you could tell. So I'm standing there, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, what, 19, 20 years old, freaking out, just about a family, super, I was like, what am I going to do? So I'm like, okay, it's not a big deal. I'm like, just got to get a plunger, right? <clears throat> they don't have a plunger in their bathroom. And so then I'm thinking, oh, shoot. And because you guys know me, I can't fix anything to save my life. Um, Mr. Seth was not there in the bathroom with me to fix it. And so I was like... Well, and look in the cabinets, and I'm like, I can't, I, I can't go, I, like, they just, I can't do this. I can't say, you know, all these people are there, they a bunch of family. So I do the best next thing is it flush the toilet again, thinking, you know, that that might, and, you know, it, luckily it stopped before it got to the edge, but it was, it was there, and I'm like, what do I do, right? And so then I'm like, okay, what if I do this? So I'll, 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 I'll go run to another bathroom real quick and see if they have a plunger before anyone gets back, right? So you run out, close the door, go, and like the other bathroom, I didn't know where I was so we're going, right? And I'm like, well, this doesn't have, a bath, doesn't have a plunger either. So then I kind of like, you know, walk really fast back to the bathroom because if somebody finds it, that's even worse, right? And so I'm back in the bathroom and I'm like, I can't, like, you can't, like, you have to. So I close the toilet, and I, like, find her aunt. I'm, I'm so embarrassed right now. Like, I'm just like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. And I'm like, after the fact, I'm thinking about, I'm like, why didn't I just say, like, nobody knew that I walked in the bathroom originally. I should have just walked, like, come out and be like, hey, somebody stopped at the toilet. It wasn't me. Like, that's what you should have done. But I was not that smart at the time. And so I walk out, and I tell her, and I'm super embarrassed. I'm like, hey, the toilet. And she's like, she probably could tell my face was red. And she was totally great. She didn't say anything to anybody. She just went, you know, got a plunger, which you should have had a plunger, is all I'm saying. <laughs> now, why do I share that story? A few reasons. One, because you're guaranteed to walk out of here remembering something I said this morning. Uh, two, because it's okay for us to... Yeah, maybe you're like, well, I don't want to know that. <laughs> um, it's, it's okay for us to ask for help and, and know that we can't do everything on our own. And I share that because, <laughs> because we're like, Dylan, you could have illustrated that a different way. But yeah, I know. <laughs> I share that because today we're continuing our series Masterclass. And last week we looked at the wisdom of God, how Paul is writing and saying that the cross is, the, is, is to the world is foolish and weak, but it's actually how God saves us, and it's actually also his power, that God doesn't just save people who are awesome or great, he saves people who are, who are weak and need his help. And so the question we're looking at this morning is how can we experience the power of God in our lives? And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians. If you don't, there's a black one somewhere around you. If you don't own one, you can take one of those black ones home. That is our gift to you. Uh, beginning of January, we started a series called Masterclass. We're going through the book of 1 Corinthians, written by this guy named Paul. Master, or 1 Corinthians is really kind of like a master 
masterclass on life. It explains to us how the gospel impacts every area of our life. And so we're continuing this thought that we started last week, that God does not use the strong and the powerful, but he uses what people think is weak and foolish to save us and to accomplish big things. And so we'll pick up 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26. I'll read verse 25 real quick just to give us some context. In verse 25, it says, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. So in that verse, Paul is not saying that God is weak or foolish, but the cross, which appears weak and foolish, is actually the power to save us. And he's going to continue that theme in this next passage. And so he says this, verse 26, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many were powerful, not many of noble birth. And so the question that he was asking them and the question for us is, where were you when God called you? He's not talking about called you like, you know, what's your passion in life or what are you going to do in life? But he's like, no, where were you? What was the state that you were in when God saved you, when God put his grace on you, when you realized that you needed him to give you grace, forgiveness, and mercy? Uh, Most of the people in the first Corinthian church in the first century uh, were weak, were were, uh, poor, we're non-influential. A lot of, a lot of ways, we're kind of like us. Like most of us, don't have a lot of money, don't have a lot of power, don't have a lot of status. And he's reminding them again that God saves people who realize they need help, not people who have it all together. Most of them, just like us, were not significant when God called us to Himself. And it's a reminder that not only does God use something like the cross that looks weak and foolish to save people, but He uses people the world might think is weak, foolish, non-influential, non-power to display his power and glory here on earth. In other words, that following Jesus is not a popularity contest. And it's important for us to remember because how do we get here? The first issue that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians is the fact that the Corinthian church has become divided over certain people who follow certain Christian leaders. And Paul's like, get out of here with that because they can't save you. Jesus does. So it's not about attaching yourself to someone or looking a certain way or doing something or you know looking cool in front of other people. It's not a popularity contest. It's the God Gospels that God saves people who need help, not people who do not think that they do. And this is an important reminder for us because rarely in our lives do you and I, if you have followed Jesus, rarely, it happens sometimes, but it's quite rare that we decide if we have not met Jesus to start following Jesus when life is going really well for us. Like I have a a really good friend right now who is young, has a great job. He lives in an area of the country that, you know, most people would want to live in. He thinks it's awesome. Um, I have my water, by the way. If you were in the first service last week, whew, that was a, yeah. Um, so he has a great job. He makes a lot of money. He's working his dream job. And, and while all that's great and while I'm really excited for him, at the same time, it makes me cautious and somewhat sad because I'm like, unless God does a miracle, which he can do, he is not going to see his need for Jesus when everything is going well. It's very, very rarely do we think we need Jesus when everything is going well. And it's not because we don't need him, but it's easy for us to kind of live in this fantasy world of we're in control, everything going the way we wanted it. We worked really hard to get here. We do not need anything. And Paul is reminding us here that, no, we do need God. We do not have it all together, which as a side note, it's very very important for us to remember, if you're a parent, that when you pray for your kids, if everything that you prayed for your kid in the past week came true, what would that look like? And here's what I mean, that it's very easy for us to get focused on, get a good grade in the class, get this job, get into their school. Like You want everything to go well for them. But if everything goes well for them, and we're not being intentional about praying that they 
would meet Jesus, then if they get everything that they wanted, they may not actually see their need for him. And so we got to make sure that we're actively not just praying for their needs, but that more than anything else, that they would see Jesus. And it is okay if they fail and stumble, because that just might be the thing that shows them their need for him. And it also gets me this on a side note here, and maybe this is just my soapbox, but one of the things that drives me crazy, and if you've done this, I don't, this is not a guilt thing at all, so I don't even know if anyone here has done it, okay? So just that caveat. But this whole idea of like popularity and like you want it, Jesus is cool and powerful and awesome. Whenever a celebrity who's a Christian, or maybe they're not a Christian, but they say something nice about Jesus, like in an interview, and like you're on social media or on Facebook, like what happens in Christian culture? Everybody shares it and likes it and like, look what this person said. And like, you know, it's like who, uh, it drives me crazy. Why? Because what, what we're doing there is that we're saying that God is awesome and cool and powerful because some influential person said something nice about Jesus. And what we need to remember as we begin this morning is that the gospel is not more powerful when powerful people follow Jesus. The power of the gospel is Jesus. So whether or not Tim Tebow, which he's awesome, he's, he looks, he seems legit to me, says something great about Jesus or not, or some actor who we're not a f- familiar of and they say something about awesome about Jesus, whether or not they said it or not, that doesn't make the gospel more legitimate or more powerful or more awesome. It is Jesus, not you and I, not powerful people, not rich people that make it, as we sang earlier, glorious. It is the gospel that makes it awesome, not us. And because of that, here's what I want us to know this morning as we begin, as we dive into this passage, that the gospel is not for powerful people, it's for the weak. The gospel, the grace of Jesus, is not for powerful people, it's for the weak. In other words, if you don't think you need any help, the gospel is not for you, because the gospel is for people who admit that they have fallen short, that they do not have everything altogether. If you've been here through this series, my hope is that you and I have understood that by now, that we need grace, forgiveness, mercy, love, and, and, and the power of God. That can only happen. We're going to begin to experience that if we're honest about our state, if we're honest that we do not have everything all together. You and I do not have everything all together. So the good news of the gospel will not be good news for you if you think that you do. So as we begin this morning, we just need to understand and remember that if we're sitting here and we're in a difficult season and we think we've blown it, you need to understand that the gospel is actually especially for you. It is not for people who have it all together. That's what Paul is saying. And then he continues by saying this in verse 27. So again, God did not save them when they were doing awesome things. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. What is happening here? We see over and over and over again that God is the one who chooses and that God is the one who uses, that he is the one who is powerful and mighty and strong, and he uses people who admit their weaknesses and admit that they do not have it all together to display that he is the one who is great and mighty and glorious, and we are not. Again, Paul is continuing this foolish and this weak theme that God uses uh, people in the world, the world would see as influential, I don't know, not influential. There we go. Um, Do not have it all together to show that God is the one who saves, that God is the one who gives grace, not you and not me. God chooses to love and give grace to those in the world that the world would say does not really matter, maybe does not deserve it, and certainly has not 
earned it. And here's what's awesome about this. That this idea that God uses the weak and the vulnerable and the people who admit that they need help is something that we see repeated all throughout Scripture. And we see it in a couple of places. They'll be on the screen or you can uh, flip there. Uh, what, first place we see it is in Deuteronomy, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 7. And this is when God has called the Israelites, right, the nation that he's going to save to ultimately bring the Messiah through to save the world. Here's what it says in chapter 7 verse 6. For you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen, there we see it again, chosen you to be his possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now, why did he do that? Verse 7. The Lord had it set or had his heart set on you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Why did God choose them? Again, to display that he is the one who saves and gives grace and gives mercy. Why is it important for us to know? Because what is going to make you great is not you. If you've got an issue in your life that you're trying to work through, if you have desires and dreams that you maybe want to pursue, what's going to make you great and what may make those things happen or not is not you. It's by leaning in the power of God, not in the power of yourself. That God created this great nation of Israel through which the Messiah came, and it's not because they had it all together. In fact, we know that they screwed up time and time and time and time and time again, which is good news for us because you and I are the exact same. And he gave them grace not because they were powerful and strong, but because he chose to to display that his grace is good enough for every single person and is not something that you need to measure up to before you can uh, achieve it or experience it. And so we see that throughout the Old Testament. We see that in the New Testament. Matthew chapter uh, 11, Jesus is talking to uh, some of the religious leaders and he says this. He's talking to them and, and he's kind of frustrated because many of them have rejected him. Many of the people are rejecting Jesus, even though he's performed miracles, even though he's talking about the grace of God. And so although he's frustrated, he then says this thing in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise the Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. What is he talking about there? That God has revealed his grace and his mercy and his power, not to people who think they have it all together, but to people who, like, who, who like infants, uh, you know, like an infant, they, they can't live on their own. They can't do anything on their own. They have no choice but to depend on somebody to help grow them and mature them. And he said, God, that is who God reveals himself to. That is who God gives his power to, those like infants that realize that we need him. We need his grace. We need his strength. We need him, his mercy. And here's the thing that when it comes to following Jesus and this whole idea that God does not use powerful people, but he uses humble people, that it is in our arrogance that we often miss out on the wisdom and goodness of God in our lives. Now, you may be sitting there and not trying to be intentionally arrogant, but if we're thinking we do not need help, and if we're not living in a posture of reliance on the Lord, then we will miss out on his wisdom and his goodness because we're trying to do it all on our own. It kind of reminds me, Finley, uh, you know, she's almost four, my, our oldest daughter, when she was about two, three, and she, she started to do things on her own for the first time, or kind of like figure out that she could do things on her own, like put her shoes on or put a jacket on, all this sort of thing. And it's great, like there are times where you want to like have them learn how to do it. But there's also times where it's like, we got to go. And what does she want to do? No, no, I got it. I don't need help. I don't need it. And so you're sitting there and you're like, oh my gosh, child, just put, and you get, what, what's happening there? And after like 10 minutes, she then says, can you help? And I'm like, yes, I can help. 10 minutes ago, I could help. And what happened? We're sitting around because you think you can do it on your own. Now she's two years old and we're like, of course she's two years old. What's the big deal? Here's the thing. 
You and I are not two years old, and we still do this all the time. We may not tell God we don't need his help, but how are we living? Are we depending on him, right? Until she realizes, oh, no, daddy can actually help me, and we can do the thing that I was trying to do this whole time. Could have been accomplished way sooner if I had just asked for his help, but what have I done? I've thought that I don't need anyone's help, that I can do it on my own. And Paul is saying that not only does God save people who realize they need his help, but he uses people who realize they need his help, not people who don't. Because again, God does not need us for anything. He is the powerful one. He is the strong one. And he is inviting us into his story if we will lean in on his grace. I'll give you one more example. In James chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. Somewhere in James chapter 2, verse 5, you think I would know, uh, you think I would know uh, where things are in the Bible. <laughs> All right, it's not flipping there. I'll just read it from the screen. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? The point here, again, is this, that God chooses the poor in the world, the weak in the world, to show us that he is good and to you, those are the type of the people that he uses uh, in this life. And here's the thing. Uh, in the United States of America, you and I, this is not to say that God does not use people who have maybe power or influence or money. That's not to say that at all. Because and the reality is, like, yes, compared to other people in the United States, you and I may not have that much influence and power. But the, compared to the rest of the world, like, most of us do live in the 1% financially. So he's not saying that God can't use those people. The, rea- the thing he, about us here is, it's just that the more that we have, the better things are going in our life, the more that we think that we've got it under control, the harder it is to admit our, our need for him and to humble ourselves before him. So God can absolutely use people who are powerful. He can absolutely use people who have money. He can absolutely use people like you and like me. We just, it, it just takes more work and more intentionality to realize we don't have it all figured out on our own. If we want to experience the power of God, we have to humble ourselves. We have to submit ourselves to him, which just becomes harder to do when we have, you know, when we have things like food in the fridge and we have clothes to wear, like we're not necessarily leaning on him daily, or at least we think we're not because we have all these things that God can still use you and I. We just have to humble ourselves before him, which is just a little harder to do when we have everything figured out when we have a lot of things in our possession when we have life. Maybe it's not as hard or it's not as destitute as other people in other places in the world, that God can still use us. We just have to humble ourselves, which can be harder to do. And again, again, the point here, the promise here is that God will use people who have submitted themselves or submitted themselves to him and who he is and his grace. And so let's pick up back in 1 Corinthians as we continue this thought, again, that God uses weak and foolish people. He says this, I'm going to read 27 through 28 and then add 29 again. He said again, said, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. Why does he do that? Verse 29 that we were talking about. So that no one may boast in his presence. In other words, no one will stand before, the, before God, before the Lord, when they meet him face to face and say, look how awesome I am. Look at all the things that I did, which is why it's, it's always somewhat ironic. And again, I know it's a cultural belief that we have in the West today, that as long as my good works outweigh my bad works, then God will allow me into heaven. And we got to be, do you honestly think that you're going to stand before God, who, if, he, if he does exist, and this is all true, who is glorious and mighty and righteous and holy and talk about how awesome you are? You're not. And let me give you an example of how you know, here's how I know, and here's how you know you will not do that, okay? Uh, when people, this happens all the time. Uh, I always try to wait as long as I can to tell people what I do, right? Because when people find out what I do, 
They often change how they act around me. And what's fa- this has been fascinating to me since we launched New City Church. Even if they would say they are not Christians and they're not even sure God exists, they will still change how they act. I'm like, but why? Like, you don't even... So let me give you... This happened, this great example. This happened this past summer. I was visiting my grandparents. My, gra- my grandfather and I went golfing at a club that he's a part of. And we go golfing. And uh, then we ate lunch and the thing. And, you know, whatever. Clubhouse, whatever. <laughs> See, I don't even know. Um, <clears throat> luckily, I can play golf better than I can fix a toilet, which isn't saying much. Um, <clears throat> And so we're sitting there eating, and a couple of these older, older guys came and joined us that they were friends with. So we start talking, and there was three, uh, three other of them that joined us. Two of them were my grandfather's age. And both of these guys that were my grandfather's age were very wealthy and very successful. One was a very well-known uh, sports broadcaster in Charlotte, so he knows all the athletes, all these sorts of things. It was actually really cool. I was like, oh, man, can you, like, hook me up? But I didn't say that. And this other guy, like, partially owned, like, an oil company. So I'm like, I mean, these guys were wealthy. And they're talking. We're talking and using a lot of language and, I'm like, and talking about it. I'm like, whatever, that's fine. About me. And then they say, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, here we go. And Because I, I, I know what's going to come out of their mouth what I, once I say it. And you can probably guess. So I say, yeah, tell them what I do, Pastor blah, blah. First thing, oh, I'm so sorry that I said, like, they apologize. Everybody always apologizes. Guys, do not apologize. But here's two reasons. The soapbox again. Here's two reasons why you don't need to apologize. Number one, I think there's, I think there's two reasons why they apologize, because they, they think some of the things they're talking about. One is because I guess people think they assume they offend pastors because they're like, pastors are like, they're holy, they're sheltered. Let me just tell you. <laughs> That as a pastor, people tell me a lot of stuff, and I see and experience a lot of stuff. I would even argue that pastors are probably the least sheltered people in the world, because we know a lot of stuff that most people don't know, and we see it. And so, I'm like, don't apologize, and there's literally nothing you could say that would shock me, number one. But number two, and here's the bigger reason I think people apologize, because they assume, even if they're not sure that God exists, that as a pastor, that I'm somewhat more holy or connected to God. And so they're like, well, I got to act a certain way because if he's connected to God, I got to do this. Right? And it's the same thing. Like even like, let's say like the Pope, like you were, you encounter the Pope. Like, and, and this is a great example. Cause like, obviously we're not Catholic. I'm not Catholic. I think it's dangerous to kind of elevate one person for that person, everyone else involved. But regardless, we most people would say, even if they don't believe in God, let's say they, they encounter the Pope or they met the Pope for lunch. They would probably watch what they said. They'd probably watch how they acted. Why? Because there's kind of this assumption that this person is more holy, this person is more connected to God, and so I need to act a certain way to make sure that I don't like mess it up. And I'm like, if we're, if we're afraid to do this around human people, then we're absolutely not going to stand before God and be like, no, I got everything figured out. I don't need your help. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying here <clears throat> that he uses the weak and the foolish to help show us that God does not need us, that God does not uh, need powerful people, and to show us that we actually can't do anything apart from him. It's why in Ephesians chapter 2 it says this, that for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast, that no one can be prideful. No one can say, hey, look what I did. I had everything figured out. I minimized the bad things that I could do, and I did all these great things. Why? Again, to show us that we need him. He is not up there begging and hoping that we do a bunch of good things so we can, he can let us into heaven. That's why he sent Jesus, because we need him and that we're weak to save weak and foolish people to do powerful things through him. And so this is why we need to understand that God, the God and the gospel is not for the powerful, it's for the weak. Here's why. Because power blinds you to your weaknesses. Power blinds you to your weaknesses. And here, and here's the kind of like what I, what I mean by this <clears throat> is that like when you think you have everything all together, when you think that everything is all good, you don't realize that you need help. And maybe in your life, 
Like maybe generally speaking, you're like, no, I'm good. I don't think I have it all together. But our, as we talk about masterclass, how this impacts every area, every area of our life, where in your life do you think that you don't need help? Like for me, fixing a toilet, I'm very, I'm very um, understanding of my weakness. Like there's no power there. Like I don't think, right? But there, there are areas in our life where we think we have it all together, where we think we don't need help. And as we get everything figured out, we begin to forget that we actually are reliant on him for absolutely everything in our life. When we have everything figured out, we forget that we are not God, that we do not have everything figured out, that we are not strong enough on our own. And so we need to understand that God uses weak people to remind us that when we think we have it all together, when we think we're powerful, we begin to forget that we don't, right? This is what Paul is saying. He continues in verse 30 by kind of making this point. Again, so that no one may boast in his presence. Why? Verse 30, because it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus. In other words, it is from God and the grace that he displayed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that you are in Jesus, who became the wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Here's what's going on here. That you and I are loved and accepted by God, again, not because we've got everything figured out, because he has given us grace, forgiveness, and mercy. That if you have trusted in Jesus, you are loved and accepted by him, not because of you, but because of him. And here's the thing we talked about last week, that it's often our wisdom that leads to death. Our wisdom being, we don't think we need help. We don't think we need anything else. We've got everything covered on our own. But in fact, it is God's wisdom. It is what he has done in Jesus that gives us righteousness sanctification, and redemption. Let me explain those words real quick. Righteousness just means that you and I can have a right standing before God, not because we have it all together, because he's given us grace, forgiveness, and mercy, that he can look at us the same way he looks at Jesus, as perfect, redeemed, and forgiven, that that we have a right standing before God. Uh, Sanctification is this idea of becoming more like Jesus, and if we are fully sanctified, which we will be if you have trusted Jesus when you meet God face to face, that basically it means uh, that you have been redeemed, he says redeemed, that you have been forgiven, that you are holy, that you are pure, again, not because of you, because of him, and again, that you've also been redeemed, that you have been bought with a price, and the, the price that bought you is not you being awesome. The price that bought you is God giving his life for you, because if he's a just and merciful God, he has to do something with our weaknesses, he has to do something with our sin, and that is why he sent Jesus. And so you receive righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, not because of you, but because of him. In other words, it is not in our power. That is what Paul is trying to get across to the Corinthians here. And if that's true, that it's not in us, it's in him, here's what we need to do with what Paul is telling us this morning. Here's what we need to do. That you and I need to humble ourselves before the Lord. That you need to humble yourself before the Lord. Like you need to say, I don't have it all together. And even if you're a follower of Jesus and you're kind of like, well, I get this. I know I don't have it all together. What parts of your life, what areas in your life are you kind of holding back? Are you not admitting your weaknesses? Are you not being honest about your need for him? This is what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 23. It'll be, it won't be on the screen, but I want to read it real quick. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, he says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Again, the point here is that if you think you're good, you don't, have it all, you don't need his help, you will one day be humbled when you realize, no, I do need his help. I don't have it all together. But when we humble ourselves before him, we will be exalted because we have trusted in him and not ourselves. And here's the irony about this. Here's the irony about how God works and his power and us needing him, is that when you think you're awesome, you're not. And when you know you aren't, you are. <laughs> 
Does that make sense? Like, when you think you're awesome, you're not, because God's looking like, okay, dude, like, really? Like, you don't even, you, you, do, you don't, you're not. Like, you don't even know, like, there's so many things. I don't want to give away what we're talking about next, let's talk about more of that next week. You're just not awesome. Okay, take my word for it, come back, and we'll talk more about how you're not awesome, right? But we know you're, when you know you aren't, and when you know you have to rely and trust in him, that's when you are. And it's not because when you trust in Jesus, you then become awesome. It's because you have received righteousness and sanctification and redemption because of him. It kind of reminds me again, Finley, again, when she, talking about Finley being young, is that there are certain times where she just admits that she needs help. Like, uh, she likes to, she's in this phase um, where she likes to make forts. Now, she doesn't know physics or whatever it is. I don't even know the word. But, like, you know, when you make a fort, like, you got to, like, pull the blanket over the, the, the chair uh, at least enough so that it doesn't fall off. Or if it's, like, on a hard surface, you got to put, like, a weight on it so it doesn't fall. And so when she wants to make a fort, she doesn't even try. She says, Daddy, can we make a fort? Right? We. Right? And it's like, well, yes, we can. Thank you for now. I'm probably in a year, she'll probably start trying, and we'll have to do this whole thing again. Like, oh, wait, wait a minute. Right? But here's the thing. Like, she understands that she can't do it, and so she just humbly, she probably doesn't think of it this way, but she's humbly asking me to do it, and then she takes credit for it. We made a fort. Hey, mama, we made a fort. Right? And I'm like, here's the thing. It's like, sure, we made a fort. Right? And the funny thing is, like, I'm not like, no, we didn't make a fort. It was me. Like, I don't say those things. Like, I delight to see her joyful, to see her happy. And this is what, this is the ironic thing about following Jesus. As you follow Jesus, maybe as you start to be more sanctified, as you sin less, as you rely and trust in him, it's easy for us to think that we've started to figure out. It's easy for us to think that, you know what, no, I am pretty great. Like, I've, I've yeah, God's helped me, but we've kind of done this together. And Paul's reminding us that, no, that God has done absolutely everything for us. He's just calling us to trust and rely in him. And so the question for us is where do you need to be humble? If you are a follower of Christ this morning, and so maybe this message is something you've heard before, the question for you is where do you need to be humble? Is there a sin struggle that you need to be honest about? And humble does not say, God, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it again. That is not humble. Humble is saying, this is a problem, I need help, I'm going to use God's people, other people in my life to talk through this. Like where in your life are you trying to do it on your own? That is areas in your life that you are not being humble in. And God's just inviting you to himself to trust in his power and admit your weaknesses. Because when you do that, that is when you see change and power in God's power in your life. So you and I need to humble ourselves before the Lord. And here's why. Here's ultimately why we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Because one day you will be humbled. The reality of the situation is you and I will be humbled. God, Jesus says that, well, God, Peter, somebody says in the New Testament, it's through the Holy Spirit, so they're all, they're all, they're all um, that one day every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee. Now, tr- now hear me. This is not a doom and gloom message. It's not a fire and brimstone, but this is just the reality that one day you and I will stand before God and be humbled. The question is, will we be humbled out of gratitude and thankfulness and joy, or will we be humbled in our shame? But the thing, thing about heaven and hell and all that sort of thing, it's like, why would God send people all these things? The reality is that God will ultimately give you and I the desires of our hearts. And if our desire for him, that we will one day enter into his kingdom in a way more amazing way than we think about it today. It's not sitting on the clouds and playing harps. There's going to be things to do. It's going to be absolutely awesome, right? Or he will give you the desire of your heart, which is eternal separation from him. You and I will be humbled. The question is whether or not we're going to rely on him or not, or trust in ourselves. And one more verse, we'll close out this section today. Read verse 30 and 31 again. Here's why, that we need to humble ourselves and we will be humbled. It says this, it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, here's why, as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. So hear me, don't be proud in what you 
have done. Be proud in what he has done. Don't trust in your own strength, but trust in his strength. And this is not a false humility. This is not walking around and be like, well, all shucks. It's, it's because of God that I do these things. What I want to do real quick, and I know we're, we're running out of time here, I want to read a story um, that I, a friend sent me a while ago who's very generous. I'll give you an example of a, what does it mean to boast in the Lord and not yourself. Uh, he's very generous. I said, why are you this way? Like, why, what caused you to be so generous and sacrificial financially? And he wrote me back and he, he gave a story and he said this. So here's why. A lady who lives in a city ventures to a market on a frigid, snowy evening. On her way there, she sees a dog tied to a pole with a tattered rope. The dog is standing, shivering, and not well cared for, given the appearance of its fur. The lady briefly looks around for the dog's owner, sees no one, and continues to the market. After 30 minutes, the woman on her return from the market sees the dog again. Only this time, the dog is lying on the ground and barely responsive. The snow is blizzard-like, and so the lady looks around again for the dog's owner, asks everybody nearby if this is their dog, and finds no one who knows the animal. The lady decides to untie her dog and bring it to her home. After weeks of care and visits to the veterinarian, the dog recovers its health. One night, the lady is reading her book in her chair, and her right arm is dangling over the side. The dog quietly comes over and gently licks the lady's hand, not because the dog wants anything from her, but only to say thank you. So I ask, who are you in the story? Some would say uh, the lady because she is generous like God is with us. Others realize that they are the thankful dog in the story. Jesus, Jesus rescued us from a state of death, not because of anything we did or will do, but because of who he is. By being generous, I attempt to thank him for his grace and love, uh, for his grace and love that he shared and continues to share with me. First and foremost, I am the thankful dog in the story. I also want to respond to God by acting towards others like the lady did too. So again, verse 31, in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This person is, is generous, not because they're trying to pay God back, not because they're trying to be a good person and be like, how awesome I am. No, they're generous because they have received the grace and mercy of Jesus, and they just want to use their gifts to show others this same Grace. And so here's lesson five of, la of Masterclass, the bottom line this morning, and that's this. That God's power is found in weakness, not projected strength. So if you want God's power in your life, if you want to boast in his strength and his goodness and not your own, admit that you're weak, admit that you don't have it all together, and live in his strength, not your own, because your own projected strength will ultimately lead to death for you and for me, because this life does not last forever. But and even if you have a great job or a great relationship, at this blink of an eye, everything can change. God is the only one who doesn't change. He's the only one who's strong. He's the only one who's perfect. And if you want to experience the power of God in your life, you need to admit your weaknesses and trust in him. And this is the good news of the gospel, that God saves not powerful people, but weak people. And as I close, I, mean just, I just want to say this, that you may be sitting here and you may be in a season of difficulty. Maybe you've blown it recently. Maybe out of your control, things have happened to you and you feel weak and you feel worthless and you feel like God can never use you and that you can't amount to everything. You need to know that is exactly the point that God uses, rescues, and loves people. So if that's you this morning, whether you're not sure about this Jesus thing or you are, and you're just discouraged because of the hand that you have been dealt recently, you need to understand that is that is the place that God redeems, loves, and saves people. The gospel is that God came in the form of a man to live the perfect life that you and I could not live, died, resurrected, to give anyone who would trust in him grace, forgiveness, and mercy because he is powerful and we are not. God's power is found in weakness, not projected strength. The question is, will 
we lean into him or we will pretend, will we pretend that we have everything figured out and keep living our lives with our same struggles and our same weaknesses and our same patterns of discouragement because we're not trusting in him. If you want God's power in your life, you've got to admit you're weak. And when you admit you're weak and trust in him, that's when you'll see change. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and for your mercy this morning, um, for your goodness and for your love that you came to save weak people, that you came to save people who did not deserve it, that you came to save people who were, as Scripture says, dead in our trespasses and sins, and that is why you came. And so my prayer this morning is that we would lean into that, that we would boast in that, that we would walk in a life that reflects that, that we would trust in you if we're not sure about you, if we don't know you, that today is the day that we can honestly say, I don't have it all together And that's good news because I know know somebody who does. And if we do know you, if we are trusting you, my prayer is that we would be honest about the areas in our pockets in our lives that we are trusting in ourselves, that we are not relying on you, and that we would be honest about those things and so that we can see change happen, but we won't see it happen if we're relying on ourselves. And so God, my prayer is in the giftings and the passions and the desires that you have given us, that we would live those out so that other people can experience the grace and mercy of who you are, that we wouldn't try to do things to get you to love us more or to earn your grace back or to do any of those things, but we would simply boast in you, and the way we can boast in you is by showing the grace and love and mercy that you have given us to others so that as many people as possible can one day meet you and live in your kingdom. And so, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you use weak and broken people like us. And as when we rely on your strength, not our own projected strength. We are honest about our weaknesses. That is where we can meet you, and that is where we can find you. Thank you for being a good and gracious God that we can trust and rely on. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.